Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today, I'm going to be talking to a pro-life activist who's also an OBGYN. She has a practice in uh, Philadelphia, and I'm excited to talk to her about how she got involved in uh, pro-life activism and about all kinds of, of issues about the morning after pill, about contraceptives, what they do to a woman's body, et cetera, et cetera. So, but first, a word from our sponsor. Please welcome Dr. Monique Rubaru. Thanks. So tell me, uh, tell me what, so you're an OBGYN, right? I am. Yeah. And what does that, what is your, what, what's kind of, what does your day to day look like in terms of that? All right. So I'm kind of a, a strange OBGYN. So I was trained traditionally. I went through normal residency and was kind of taught to treat people in the same way that most OBGYNs do with contraceptives, um, prescribing IVF, if people have infertility, all that sort of stuff. But now the way I practice is completely different. I am kind of a, more of a much more of a holistic gynecologist. So I don't write for contraceptives. Instead, I am very much interested in looking for the root cause of all of the GYN issues. I address typical GYN issues in my office, abnormal bleeding, mood issues, um, infertility, all of those things. But we never refer for IVF. We always look for the root cause. We address a lot of hormonal issues and we do a lot of kind of advice on diet and um, ways to cleanse your body. So, And do you, do you deliver babies? I do not. So a little bit of a interesting story. When I decided to give contraceptives, the other people that I was cross covering with um, at that particular hospital, the women refused to cross cover with me. So I had to give up my obstetric practice and what only is do... What is cross cross cover means like when you are um, in a group practice and you're delivering babies, you don't want to be delivering babies every single night. So you are in a group. And so you will deliver one night, then someone else will deliver the next and the next and the next, and then it'll come back around to you. So you end up delivering, you know, one night out of seven or whatever, um, based on how many people are in the group. But all the people who were cross covering with me refused to cross cover with me because I was practicing differently and no longer writing contraceptives. So not that that has anything to do with labor and delivery. (laughs) Right. And so first of all, I want to ask about IVF and about not writing for uh, prescriptions for, or writing, what'd you say for contraceptives? Correct. Yeah. Um, So, but what talk about IVF and in in vitro fertilization, what, what does that actually involve and why did you change from doing that? Or did sure, you ever- absolutely. So I never personally did IVF for people, but I used to refer people to get IVF. Like when I had patients um, prior to my change in practice, 
if they had infertility, then I would very quickly send them to the infertility doctors. And after a few rounds of treatment, they would be shuttled into the IVF route. Um, the reason I don't agree with IVF is number one, you have these people who are, the husband is asked to masturbate to create a specimen. The wife is given multiple hormone medications to kind of overstimulate her ovaries so that they can retrieve as many eggs as possible. Then they take these eggs and these sperm and they put them together in attempts to create embryos. So then the next thing is they look at these embryos that they've created and they grade them. And I personally believe that all life begins at conception. And that's what we're taught in embryology. That's the very first stage of life. And as a pro-life physician, I believe that all life is sacred and that it all needs to be respected. So when you take an embryo and you grade it, and then you say, well, this is not of good quality in comparison to that one. Now it's all about, okay, let's discard these ones. So these people who are trying so hard to conceive a single pregnancy are already losing children in that process. Then say you're left with, you know, four embryos, five embryos, whatever it may be. They can only place one or two at a time. So they'll place those one or two in this initial fresh cycle. The rest of them have to be frozen. So you put those into storage and in that freezing process, that can kind of denature these embryos a little bit, increasing the risks of cancer for those babies if they're mm. allowed to come to fruition down the road, increasing the risk of genetic anomalies in those babies as well. Um, then say those two babies that are put in, those two embryos are put in and they both take off and they they do great. They're like gangbusters. So say they split twins each. Now you've got four babies there. So the next thing that's asked of this mother is, okay, now you have more than two babies in your uterus. This is very dangerous. You're going to end up with preterm delivery. It's very likely that all of these babies are going to have horrible problems. They won't have good quality of life. So now we suggest that you reduce. Now you're taking babies with heartbeats and they're now injecting KCL, potassium chloride, into their hearts to kill um the ones that they don't want to be there. So the mom is now participating in direct abortion. And the majority of the moms that I know in dealing with infertility, they just want one healthy child. They don't want to have to end the lives of any of their children. And every time that they do this, now they have another several embryos that are in the freezer. So they're kind of locked in. Either they've got to just let those embryos go and lose children that way, or they've got to pay the additional however many thousands of dollars for each additional cycle in order to give those embryos a chance. So once you start the process, it's just a real slippery slope. And I think a lot of people have no idea all of the moral and ethical dilemmas that are kind of tied into it. And then on top of that, you think about the cost. So, you know, one month of NAPRO technology, which is what I do now and trying to help people to conceive, maximum cost would be like maybe a few hundred dollars. One month of IVF is around $3,000 to $7,000. And that's just one cycle. And so, so what happens? Yeah. <clears throat> so what happens with the embryos that are frozen? How long can they last in that state? I honestly don't know what the maximum time is that they're allowed to be frozen. Um, 
I'm sure there are embryos that have been around for quite some time. They will keep them frozen as long as these people are willing to pay for them to stay frozen. And then what about the the injection? What was it called? KCL? Potassium chloride. It's what they use. The injection of potassium chloride into one of the fetuses that is, is not wanted doesn't that affect the other fetuses in the in the womb in the uterus? No, what happens is those particular babies will die and then they will just melt away. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that I didn't know that there could be if you if you put it, place two embryos in it could result in four fetuses. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Is there is there a case where they can uh, result in more than like more than double? Is there a case where they kind of... So, I mean, it's just like the process of twinning, right? So it, it all kind of depends on when, where that embryo cleaves at what point and if it does indeed become a twin or a triplet. So sometimes you will have pregnancies in women that are not associated with IVF where they have a spontaneous triplet pregnancy. And that's like extremely rare, but it it can happen. So, and you mentioned uh, it increases the likelihood of there of of a chance of cancer. How? why, Why does that happen? The more that you manipulate an embryo, the more that there can be abnormalities in the actual uh, function of those cells within that embryo. So they've just, the studies that have been done have shown that there have been increased risks with babies that were conceived in IVF. We'll be right back after this short break. And and do parents, are parents fully informed of all of this when they go into IVF? That's a great question. Um, I think they're fully informed on the exact process of IVF. Like they're told, yes, we're going to stimulate your ovaries. We're going to retrieve your eggs and we're going to create embryos and we're going to grade the embryos. And then we're going to place some and put some in the freezer. But I don't think that many people kind of clue into exactly what that means. And the oftentimes, um, I have a lot of patients who have gone through IVF and then come to me for help with fertility, like the IVF didn't work for them or whatever. Um, For those particular patients, they would tell me, you know, I had these embryos. And then when the embryos died, I was really upset because those are my children. And the response of the people that were working in that particular center was just like, why are you so upset? This is just an embryo. It's nothing. Like, so they didn't really see it in the same way. And maybe it's just, you know, being around that sort of an environment. This is this is just kind of a commodity to get to the end goal. And it's not really considered life until it's a thriving baby with a heartbeat, or maybe some people consider not until it's delivered. So everybody's a little bit different in how they're defining these things and how they're... Um, looking at them. Yeah. And you mentioned um, now, is it NAPRO technology? What, what is NAPRO technology? How did you think, find out about this and what does it do? <laughs> That's a kind of a funny story. So 
I went all the way through residency practice as a gynecologist for several years. I had never heard of um, NAPRO technology, which is, it stands for natural procreative technology. And I think one of the main reasons I never heard of it was during residency, they would talk about natural family planning methods. And basically they would just say, they don't work. Don't even bother looking at them. They're pointless. And I believe that the people who are saying this were really thinking about, you know, the oldest natural family planning methods, like, um, Oh goodness. What is the name of it? Even there was one that it was an extremely complicated. Seventies. It was called a method. Yeah. Well, there, but there are several methods now, but like this one, there was, you had to do a calculation of the dates and it it was like some numerical thing. And then you, any, it was super complicated and there were lots of babies that resulted from it because it really didn't work for most women. Um, But now there are amazing natural family planning methods that are based on, you know, mucus findings and really looking at your cycle and having a true understanding of what your bleeding patterns mean and what the length of your cycle means and exactly when you're ovulating. And they're like 97% effective when it comes to achieving or avoiding pregnancy. And it's really an amazing opportunity to be able to identify exactly where you're ovulating. And then you can do scientific tests, labs to check and see if you have hormonal dysfunction and you can address all of that. But you weren't taught any of this when we were in residency. So I came across it actually, funnily enough, I had, my marriage was on the brink of divorce and God stepped in and healed my marriage and brought people into my life to help heal my marriage. So as kind of a thank you to God, I decided to go and do something that was completely outside of my box and that was to pray outside of an abortion center. And the reason I chose that you just cut off a little bit. So you, you you decided to pray outside of an abortion center. Correct. Yes. In, in Philadelphia. Reason, in Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. The reason I chose that was uh, because I had read Abby Johnson's Unplanned. Have you ever heard of that book? Yeah, well, I saw the movie. And oh, there you the go. Movie, yeah. The movie um, was so powerful. I, I, you know, obviously there's that scene. It's like the main scene in the movie where, she has a, a turning point where she actually kind of runs into uh, this room where they're doing an abortion and she actually sees it. And it's, I'm telling you, I, after that movie, when I saw that, I was like, if, if this movie were shown to all school children, the abortion rate in, in the United States would plummet because that scene is so powerful when you actually see what happens during an abortion. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. So I had read the book and that was the first time that I heard about people praying outside of abortion centers and the impact of people who were showing up, not with anger, not with um, angry or scary looking signs, but rather people who were showing up with love, with compassion, with kindness and truly offering help to women and men who are going in. And so I showed up and it was a really strange day because the patriarch of the pro-life community had died the day before. I didn't know him. But when I showed up and I said, I'm a pro-life OBGYN, this particular man had been a daily communicant. So he would go to mass every day. And one of his main things that he would ask God for was that God would send a pro-life OBGYN to start 
a Gianna center, which is a center like what I have now. And um, when I showed up, I thought I was a pro-life OBGYN because I was against abortion. But at that time, I was still writing for contraceptives because I had no idea how else to practice. But, wait, pause for one second. So when you say writing for contraceptives, tell, what, what does that mean exactly? And why, do you, why is it wrong to do that? Okay, sure. So writing That's for it. contraceptives just yeah. means that I prescribe contraceptive pills or place IUDs for people or, you know, allow, I give prescriptions for contraceptives. I help my patients get contraceptives. Why is that wrong? Because number one, every hormonal contraceptive, it has a back mechanism of action in which it will thin the inner lining of the uterus. And so it prevents a embryo from implanting there. So with the hormonal contraceptives, like the pills, the patches, the rings, things like that, their primary goal is to stop ovulation and prevent ovulation, but that doesn't always work. So you'll have these breakthrough ovulations where you actually do release an egg. And if you're sexually active, then the sperm can meet with the egg, create an embryo, and that embryo is tumbling down and the next plan is for it to implant in the lining. But if that lining is super thin or if that lining is inhospitable, then it can't implant and it will die. And so oh, that oh, is so what I, makes I know that about contraceptives. So, so you can, an, an embryo can actually um, be created and then die because of the contraceptives, because of the lining, because of the, it has on the lining. Correct. Or That's it can make it an extremely complicated pregnancy if it does manage to implant, but doesn't have like a good enough lining as a higher risk pregnancy. Is that, um, are there, because of the, the, um, just the common use of, of contraceptives, is that kind of a, is there a causal link? Have you studied this between that and, uh, miscarriages? So, I, there's so many causes for miscarriages, right? Miscarriages can be caused because you have hormonal dysfunction. Hormonal dysfunction can be absolutely worsened by the use of contraceptives. Most people who use contraceptives, when they offer the contraceptives, they tend to have much higher estrogen levels, like an estrogen dominance. And that high level of estrogen tends to push down your ability to create progesterone and that will make it very difficult for you to sustain pregnancies going forward. So that's one issue I run into a lot. People that um, use hormonal contraceptives, when they have that hormonal dysfunction and they have the higher levels of estrogen, it also results in abnormalities in the actual structure of the uterus. With high levels of estrogen, you tend to grow more kind of benign, what's called fibroids that push in on the inner lining of the uterus, make you have very heavy bleeding. It worsens things like endometriosis in the long run, which is a very painful um, GYN disorder where little bits of the inner lining have implanted outside of the uterus. So there's lots of other things as well. So as far as the contraceptives, the, the issue with that I have with it on the pro-life side is the whole issue of possible abortion. So it's kind of like playing Russian roulette 
But the issue I have with on the natural medicine side is that all contraceptives are used to just cover up issues. They never allow you to address the underlying root cause issue. So most women that come to me with issues with abnormal bleeding, if I was to give them a contraceptive, can I get them to have like a fake bleed every 28 days so that they feel like they're normal? Yeah, I could do that with a contraceptive. But in doing that, the minute they get off that contraceptive, they're going to go right back to the issues that they had previously. So if they have polycystic ovarian syndrome or thyroid dysfunction or adrenal dysfunction, all of those things are just being hidden and they're usually getting worse and worse and worse because you're not addressing them. So I prefer not to use contraceptives and rather look for those root causes and actually address those. And how many women in in America are, I mean, I don't know if you know this statistic, but how many women in America are on the pill, for example? A lot. I, I don't know the statistic of how many women exactly are using this, but this is the most common medication that is written by a gynecologist. So any issue that you ever have when you go to a gynecologist, eight times out of 10, they're going to ask you to use a contraceptive to address it. So that's just how we're trained. Wow. And I mean, I've, I've, I've known that the pill is pretty, uh, is pretty harmful, but I didn't know to this extent how harmful it could be or it is. Yeah, there's there's a lot of issues with the pill. I mean, there's a lot of people even, not a lot, but there's a segment of the population that um, they have like an underlying clotting disorder and they've never known about it. So the pill puts them at a high risk of having blood clots in their body. And that's really dangerous. Increased risk of cancer, all sorts of things that are associated with it. But it's so um, commonly prescribed that most people don't even list it as medication. They just think of it as, you know, almost a, a vitamin or a supplement. Wow. Okay. So go back to the man who gave you, talked to you about NAPRO technology. All oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. So I, um, I went and I prayed outside of this abortion center and that guy had passed away the day before. So his son and all of his kids were there praying on his behalf because he would be at that abortion center every single Saturday. And so his eldest son came up to me and um, on that particular day I was praying out there. And then I decided to try and talk to the women. And one of the women that I spoke to actually changed her mind and decided not to have an abortion. And so his son came up to me and he was like, who are you and what do you do? And I was like, (laughs) "Um, I'm a pro-life OBGYN. And he was like, what? My pop sent you. And I'm like, I, I don't know your pop. And then I I started to understand the story a little bit and why he said that, but he showed up. This this did he mean that God sent you? Like when he said my pop, did he mean God? No, my pop meaning his father, who would pray every day at mass for pro life OBGYN. Yeah. So he showed up at my office and he dropped off a book about NAPRO technology. I'd never heard of NAPRO technology. And when I read this book, it was a book that was intended um, for laymen, but at the end of each topic, it had a little blurb for doctors. And when I read this book, I was blown away by two things. The first was um, postpartum depression. So typically when people 
are diagnosed with postpartum depression, the only treatment that they're offered is um, to get on an antidepressant or to go into some sort of therapy, group therapy, or talking to a counselor. And that's that's basically it. Um, when it comes to neighbor technology, we give these patients a shot of progesterone, and within 24 hours, their symptoms are resolved. It's unbelievable. It's like night and day. Yeah, so that... There's a, I did, there's a, there's a very great solution for postpartum depression. Yes, it, it's amazing. And so I read about this and I was I was completely baffled because I myself had experienced not postpartum depression, but postpartum blues, which is like the mini version of it. And that for two weeks, that was just horrendous. I mean, I'm like a pretty upbeat person and I enjoy being around people, but I felt like I was walking around with this cloud over my head for two weeks. And I didn't trust myself at all with my child at that time. So I had a taste of what that was like. And to know that you could change things so drastically with just a shot of progesterone just blew my mind. And the other thing was... What does the progesterone do? So the, the depression is caused by a lack of progesterone. When we have this massive drop progesterone in that postpartum period... That's why, and it's very similar to PMS symptoms. So we see this a lot in my patients when we're charting their cycles and we're checking their levels. The patients who have severe PMS have a major drop in their progesterone levels or a major drop in their estrogen and progesterone levels. And when we supplement back, they feel much better. Wow. Okay, so then tell me more about this, this um, the NAPRO technology. Tell me some yeah. more stories of that. Yeah. So then the other thing that really blew my mind was ovarian cysts. So typically the treatment for a large ovarian cyst is that you have to have surgery other way to deal with it. Or they might, after surgery, they might put you on a contraceptive pill to completely shut down your cycles. But once again, if you give someone a shot of progesterone while they have a large ovarian cyst within 24 hours, if it's a benign cyst, that cyst will resolve, the pain will go away. And the person can completely avoid a surgery, which is really wonderful because every surgery causes more issues. Um, the way they do surgery even for NAPR technology is different. Um, for endometriosis, we used to just burn lesions. So endometriosis is when little bits of the inner lining of the uterus will implant outside of the uterus. And it causes a lot of pain during periods. It causes a lot of inflammation in the body. And it's a real issue. But Typically, the treatment for it with typical gynecologists is you go in and you just burn all those lesions, but they tend to come back because you're not addressing any of the underlying hormonal abnormalities. In neighbor technology, we go in and we actually remove those lesions so those lesions don't come back. And then we address the underlying hormonal abnormality and help the patient to cleanse their liver, lower their estrogen levels, do all of those things. So, And you said, uh, you said that... There were you, there were some miraculous coincidences that helped you understand why God had you show up to that pro life uh, event that day. What can you talk about some of those miraculous things? <laughs> oh, gosh, I mean, I think it was more than anything. It was just like me showing up, and down the road, I found out that this particular man. So his name was John Stanton. 
this particular man had been canvassing my hospital. So I worked in a Catholic hospital. He had been canvassing them for years to try and get them to have one of their OBGYN physicians do this NAPRO training so that we could have a Catholic doctor in a Catholic hospital offering true care that abided by our faith 100%. And they kept trying to ask different doctors if they would do this. They never asked me, but they had actually asked a gentleman who was a physician in my particular office, and I didn't know anything about it. The textbook for NAPRO technology is like this humongous textbook. And it had been sitting in my office manager's office for an entire year prior to my knowing anything about NAPRO technology. And that was literally like 10 feet away from where I sat every day. <laughs> like so many crazy little things like that. And so how did the people you worked with react to you becoming a pro-life activist? I mean, was there any pushback on you, with you? Like what... What was that well, like? yeah. I mean, when when I decided to stop writing contraceptives and all of those people decided that they would no longer cross cover with me, what that meant was I had to give up a part of my income. So I lost about $30,000 straight off the top from what I would normally make because I wouldn't write contraceptives. And then I was told in order to make up some of that salary, I had to assist them with their deliveries and with their surgeries. So I could work on labor and delivery not for my own patients, not to deliver my own patients, but I could triage their patients when they came in um, with emergencies and I could assist them on their C-sections or I could catch their babies if they were busy. And so that kind of ruffled my feathers a little bit and I wasn't too pleased with that. Um, but I did it and it, it was fine. Over time, I, you know, managed to learn how to just let it go and allow God to love them through me. Um, and ultimately, I now that I look back, I, I realize that every step along the way, that was really God trying to push me to a different place and just very slowly kind of stripping away all these things that needed to be stripped away so I could end up where I am now. And um it started off with them saying, yeah, you can't be in that particular group practice. You have to be in a solo practice. And I was like, no, I don't, I have no desire to do that. And they said, well, that's the only way you can practice. So they created the solo practice for me. Then I wasn't making enough money for the hospital. So they said, okay, now you need to own the practice. And I was like, I have no desire to own my practice. I want to be an employee. No, you got to own the practice. So then I owned the practice and I was renting my employees from them. So they were still managing their taxes and stuff. Then the next step was, no, now you need to own the employees as well and you need to fully own the practice. And I said, I don't want to do that. And they made <laughs> me do that. And then the next step was COVID happened. And they said, well, now you need to vaccinate with a COVID vaccine or you're going to lose your privileges. And I was like, no, I will not vaccinate with a COVID vaccine. There's nothing you can make me to do that. And they said, well, then you won't be able to um, operate anymore at the hospital. You won't be able to be on labor and delivery. And um, by the way, we need your space. So you'll have to move your practice elsewhere. And so I, ultimately, God provided another place and we moved the practice and um, started doing in-office procedures instead of operating in the operating room. 
And so your practice is still in Philadelphia, but it's just you're not correct. associated with the, the hospital anymore. Is that correct? correct? Funnily enough, the place that I'm renting space from is one of their medical office buildings, but it's the suite owned by someone else at the very beginning when it was created, he purchased a suite. So yeah, I'm like, what, you, mentioned, you mentioned, so is this, is that what you call the, did you say John, John, how did you say it? Gianna center? Gianna? So the typical like pro-life OBGYN's office is a Gianna center uh, because that's just a, a group of centers that they all fall under this one thing. My office is called natural women's health and it's a privately owned office. Wow. And so are you finding that women are, are kind of, is your, you know, is, are your patients increasing at your center? Because are women yeah, more and more? Yeah. Our, thing? yeah. Our practice is growing and growing. We have, um, so I'm the, the physician there. And then I have two PAs that I've hired. So one has been with me for, it'll be a year in August. And the other one just graduated recently and she'll be starting to see patients probably in about four to six months with, as we get all the paperwork and everything sorted. So right now she's shadowing me. Um, but yeah, we have more patients than we can handle at the moment. And every day we get new patients that are calling, wanting to be a part of the practice. So it's absolutely growing. People are looking for the answers. They're looking for the root causes. They're looking for the truth. And um, they like the way that they're treated. We treat them with respect and with love. And it is practice is absolutely, it's intertwined with my faith. So I have, you know, pictures of God all over my practice. I have medals hanging from every door and every window. I have no problems talking to people about their faith. I have no problems talking to people about chastity, talking to people about their relationships, talking to people about prior abortions and offering them uh, recovery services. I do abortion pill reversal. So there's a lot what is, to okay. what is abortion pill reversal. Somebody takes the abortion pill within 72 hours. If they change their mind, you can actually reverse that or block that pill from harming the baby by giving them an abundance of progesterone. And so there have been lots of babies that have been saved in this way. When you do that, the RU486 abortion pill doesn't actually cause any sort of genetic anomaly or dysfunction in the baby. It just kills by cutting off its supply of progesterone. So when we give the progesterone, typically if the baby's old enough and if they get to us early enough, then we can save that baby. And tell me again, because you cut out a little bit. So what, what does the abortion pill actually do? It cuts off the progesterone for the baby. Okay. And, and, and how progesterone, the baby would die. And you need to take that. A, a woman would need to take that within 72 hours of conception. Is Correct. That, so within kind of, 72 hours of taking the abortion pill, you would need to take progesterone to reverse it. I see. And that's obviously called the, the abortion pills, the morning it's, it's known as the morning. No, after pill. different from the morning after pill. So the morning okay, after the pill. Yeah. <laughs> so the morning after pill is basically like a high dose birth control pill. And the purpose of the morning after pill is to try and suppress ovulation. But once again, if that embryo is created, it's also trying to make that inner lining of the uterus inhospitable. So the morning after pill can 
considered an abortifacient. Most gynecologists, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists would say that it's not an abortifacient because they have renamed when life begins. Rather than saying that life begins at conception, which every embryo embryology textbook would say, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists says that life begins at implantation. And so they would say, even though this is trying to prevent implantation possibly, um, it would not be causing an abortion because the baby has not implanted yet. Now, what's the time? How much time is there between conception and implantation, typically? Oh, <laughs> it's a matter of days. Yeah. Okay. And um, and so, are you continuing to? Uh, are you? Do you continue to? protest at, 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 or to, to go to pro-life rallies or to go to pro-life yeah, uh, yeah. events? I actually help to organize people to pray outside of in downtown Philadelphia. I'm a part of an organization called 40 Days for Life. And so we have people all over the world who twice a year um, right now, so during Lent and then also uh, in another time during the year, we have people for 40 days, they show up outside of the abortion centers and just peacefully, lovingly, they offer resources, they show up, they pray, and they hope that people will change their minds. And over 22,000 babies have been saved by people doing this across the world wow. that we know of. Wow. That's amazing. Um, and so I, I'm assuming when Roe v. Wade was overturned, you were excited about that. Ecstatic crying just like so <laughs> bawling and crying so happy oh my goodness Ugh. and you and you yeah. say um what's going on with walgreens right now because you say that we should boycott walgreens cvs and rite aid but walgreens is actually not provide talk about what's no, happening this, yeah so walgreens is kind of like doing this half and half thing so they're not saying that they're not going to dispense the abortion pill. What they're saying is that in certain places, they're not going to dispense the abortion pill, but in other places, they are going to apply for the ability to dispense this abortion pill. So anybody that is a pharmacy that is dispensing an abortion pill, we believe should be protested and people should know about this. The most important thing about this is super dangerous for women. When women are receiving an abortion pill from a pharmacy, that means you're cutting out the middleman. That means they don't have to have a physical exam and they don't have to have an ultrasound. And if they don't have a physical exam or an ultrasound, how are they going to know if they have an ectopic pregnancy, a pregnancy that is within their tubes? So they're being told, yes, you're going to have this abortion. You will have some bleeding and you will have some pain. So a woman could be rupturing a pregnancy, having bleeding and pain and thinking that it's okay, and then she will die. Or a woman could be farther along than she thinks because you're only supposed to have the abortion pill up to about 10 to 12 weeks max. So there are women who have no idea when they actually conceive the pregnancy because they have irregular cycles or they're not paying attention or whatever reason. And so these women could be much farther along 
And then they're going to have severe hemorrhaging as this is happening, and they're not prepared for that. So they're at home alone or they're in the college stall. You know, imagine someone having an abortion at Austin College in the bathroom stalls by herself, hemorrhaging on the ground, right? You saw the part of Unplanned where Abby Johnson used the abortion pill and how she was hemorrhaging in the shower. That's what the abortion pill does. So it's massive bleeding, massive amounts of pain, and these women are alone. And then they're delivering their baby, right? And they're alone. And so they're seeing this baby. They're told to sit on the toilet and then to flush the toilet. And so these women are seeing their baby. They're freaking out because they're thinking that their pregnancy is just a clump of cells. And then they're seeing heads and arms and legs. And then they're fishing them out and putting them in plant pots. They're putting them in the freezer. They're putting them in like all sorts of things. And they're calling the um, like abortion recovery service people. And so my friends that are working in abortion recovery are getting all of these calls with these women who are totally traumatized after using this abortion pill with very little guidance, very little understanding of like what they should be doing, what is completely normal, what is not normal. And there are women who have died from this, sadly. Like there's a story of a woman who had ruptured an ectopic. By the time they got her to the emergency room, she was dead on arrival. They did the um, autopsy and her belly was full of blood because she had died with an ectopic. Wow. I That's, uh, that's so... Uh intense um and so if we if if people boycott cvs walgreens and rite aid where do they go to get the prescription (laughs) yeah so we've looked into this all of the pharmacies at the grocery stores are not doing it so like if you have you know over here in pennsylvania it's like Shoprite, walgreens uh genardi's costco Um, All of those pharmacies are not writing it. And then you have pharmacies that are like mail-away pharmacies. So typically they aren't doing it. And then you have the local mom and pop pharmacies. So all of those, is it less convenient? Absolutely. Is it a sacrifice? Absolutely. I went and I stood at a mom and pop pharmacy for about an hour as they were trying to figure out my insurance and get everything approved. But I was happy to do it knowing that I was not going to... CBS. So. Wow. And so, um, yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say about this? Because I mean, this, this is so eye opening. <laughs> this is so eye opening to me. Everything you've been saying is so eye opening. And, and just the, uh, the, the NAPRO technology is such a, an amazing thing to, to hear about and to know about. Um, well, thank you so much. We're going to leave it there. Thank you, Dr. Monique Rubaru. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, this has been very, very informative and amazing. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Beckett. It's been a joy. So thank you guys for watching and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. 
Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Do you want to better understand the Bible and give biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith? Hi, this is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Podcast Show. Listen to us weekly as we bring the truth often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of the local church. Join me along with many of the nation's top theologians as we offer answers to life tough questions from an apologetic perspective. Subscribe to the show at lifeaudio.com.